Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome into Outkick the Show. Coming to you early today on Wednesday because uh, I am headed down to Miami for business meetings for a couple of days. I'll be back on Monday and then I'm headed out to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. Uh, but uh, I'll be here Monday, Tuesday for sure, and then doing some work with OutKick out in Las Vegas as we get ready for the Super Bowl next week. Got a bunch of stories to dive into you with, uh, beginning with what I would classify as clear blockbuster news. Uh, the states of Tennessee and Virginia have filed a lawsuit alleging antitrust violation against the NCAA over name, image, and likeness restrictions. Uh, I will break down that lawsuit that was filed this morning in the Eastern District of Tennessee, uh, a story that OutKick broke, by the way. Uh, Trump leads in all seven swing states, according to a poll that came out this morning. What does that mean to us? Women's basketball, I think this is tied in with name, image, and likeness, by the way, losing hundreds of millions of dollars in college sports. Uh, a couple of different recent examples coming out, Ole Miss and LSU in particular, big SEC programs losing a massive amount of money we'll talk about, and I told you it was going to happen. This is why I was rooting for Baltimore. Taylor Swift talk has taken over Super Bowl pregame this week. I told you it was going to happen. What does this all say? What does it all mean? I will tell you. But we begin with a blockbuster lawsuit that was filed in the Eastern District Federal Court of Tennessee this morning by the Attorney Generals of Tennessee and Virginia. Uh, the lawsuit comes on the heels of the NCAA trying recently to begin to enforce NIL-related rules against Florida State which you saw me react to, ridiculous that Florida State was punished, uh, against Florida. And then yesterday, news came out that the NCAA was also sniffing around Tennessee uh, relating to their NIL group. So, what is going on here? Uh, Attorney General Jason uh, uh, Myers of Virginia and Jonathan Skirmetti of Tennessee have joined together and filed a lawsuit alleging that the NCAA's attempt to restrict NIL deals is an antitrust violation and therefore should not be allowed and the NCAA's ability to have any enforcement mechanism whatsoever in NIL-related cases should be immediately restricted and joined by the federal court uh, because there is no doubt that this is a NCAA, uh, that this is an antitrust violation under the Sherman Antitrust Act uh, under federal law. Now, this is, if you are a sports lawyer, this is your dream come true, this kind of lawsuit. Uh, there are tons of guys and girls out there who go to law school because they're interested in being an agent, because they love sports, and sports law is one of the most popular courses you can take in law school. Uh, I took sports law. David Williams, former athletic director of Vanderbilt University, was my teacher. I have spoken at multiple sports law class uh, classes. In fact, 
I'll even put this out as an offer. If you're watching this right now uh, and you want me to speak in your law school sports law course, um, send me an email. Uh, I'm not sure where I'll be around the country, but I like to talk to young would-be lawyers. I think I've learned a little bit. Some of you who are watching this right now even uh, were a part of the OutKick CLE where we did continuing legal education, uh, which lawyers have to get 15 hours of every year. Uh, Many of you out there, uh, we had thousands of people who signed up to take those courses, and they were typically sports law or entertainment-based that I taught uh, my buddy Dan Beasley recorded them with a VHS recorder, I think, back in the day, or maybe it was a digital video recorder, I guess. Uh, and then we uploaded them, and there was a lot of interest because uh, this is a this is a uh, an area that just has a massive amount of, uh, of of attention on it, and I think it's such a crucible point. So let me start with this, and I think this is important. In my life, there have been three seismic, I would say shifts in the way that sports occur. Uh, The first was the rise of, from a business perspective, the first was the rise of cable and satellite uh, television to allow every sport to be televised. And that actually came out of a Supreme Court case when Georgia, Oklahoma, and other schools sued the NCAA for restricting how many times schools could be on television and how many games could actually air. Uh, I did a whole CLE on this, uh, but it is a very fascinating 1980s, early 1980s course, which basically put uh, the full fruition of sports on television. I'm old enough to remember, and so I'm 44. Some of you who are around my age will remember this as well. Uh, I'm old enough to remember when I had to listen to a game on the radio. Uh, when I had to go get a newspaper and flip to the, the sports section to see whether or not my favorite team won. My kids, the idea that you would ever listen to a game on radio because it was the only way you could consume uh, a game would hear this now and think it's one of the most outrageous things they've ever contemplated. They don't even look at newspapers unless I give them articles or send them articles to read. Uh, But the idea that you would have to open a newspaper and wait till the next morning to see whether or not your team won also, they would never have believed, all right? So that's the world that I come from. But the rise of cable and satellite television as a result of that Supreme Court decision and every game basically being available was the first transformative element of uh, sports business in my life. Second one, rise of fantasy sports. Uh, The rise of fantasy sports has absolutely changed everything. That's the underlying reason why, for instance, NFL ratings have taken off, because just about every single one of you out there watching or listening to this right now has a rooting interest for fantasy sports over the last 20 years in almost every NFL game. You'll sit around and watch Monday Night Football to see who's going to win a game. You've got players that you're rooting for and against. That's the second one. Third one is uh, is the sports gambling. Uh, and obviously, the rise of sports gambling is the one that, from a business perspective, made me a hundred millionaire. Um, and, and I saw this coming. The, the amount of money that was going to pour into sports as soon as sports gambling became legal, you can go back and read, you can go back and watch me just lay all this out. I was at the Supreme Court uh, watching on the day when the state of New Jersey argued that Uh, It was unconstitutional, a violation basically of federalism for every individual state not to be able to make their own determination as to whether or not they had sports gambling. And I think the number is like 33 
states now have some form of legalized sports gambling and wagering. Again, some of you who are super young won't even remember this, but it used to be a big deal. You got on an airplane, you landed in Nevada, you could go to a Las Vegas casino and bet on any sport. That's why going out for the March Madness was such a big deal uh, to be able to go out there for much of my young adulthood. It was amazing. That was the only place you could legally gamble. Now, they had offshores where you could gamble and all those things, but 100% legality uh, was going to Las Vegas. Now, you can go basically anywhere. I mean, I can put my phone up uh, in the state of Tennessee and bet on, I don't know, eight or nine different apps, any game under the sun, basically, that I could be interested in. Third most transformative uh, major change to the business of sports, again, sports gambling becoming legal. I think there now is an argument that the fourth is going to be the rise of NIL and the destruction of the NCAA. And this is still in its infancy. But the lawsuit, as I was reading it this morning, Jason Mayares and Jonathan Skirmetti, the two attorney generals of Tennessee and Virginia, I think they have laid out a debilitating legal uh, analysis for the NCAA's attempts to restrict NIL. Um, and I'd encourage you to go read the full complaint. It's linked up at OutKick. We're going to have Jonathan Skirmetti, the uh, Attorney General of Tennessee, on with us at 2 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock Central, noon, Mountain, uh, 11 a.m. Pacific here in just a little bit. He's going to be our only guest for the day, breaking down this lawsuit. Again, OutKick broke the news of this lawsuit before anybody else in the world of sports. Uh, but essentially, I think where we're headed, okay, uh, I think it's a clear antitrust violation. I don't believe the NIL uh, restrictions by the NCAA are permissible under existing antitrust law. And I'm going to explain why. Again, this is me putting on my lawyer hat and kind of nerding out here a little bit because this is something that I'm super fascinated by. Um, but, and I'll tie it in, by the way, with women's basketball and how I see all this going. Uh, the basic takeaway here is the... Uh, the let, let me just start here, actually. Some people say... Clay, have you ever had an opinion in your public career and then you went back and as things evolved, you looked at it and you changed your mind on it? Uh, this would be one, paying players. When I started writing online in 2004, uh, I and by the way, abortion would be another one. And I write about that in this book, my evolution as becoming a dad and seeing uh, the way that that babies grow and getting to see sonograms and getting to see three sons. Uh, this is a side note, but uh, I, I didn't really think about it conceptually uh, until I actually had children, what it was like and what a baby in the 15th week, let's say, of gestation in a stomach actually looked like. It was very, like a lot of boys probably, a lot of young men, you don't really think about this stuff. Women think about it way more because obviously they carry babies. Um, I just never thought about it that much. I kind of had a general idea that I was pro-choice because I'm pro-freedom. Um, but the idea at some point, you know, you have to figure out when does a, uh, a fetus have uh, a, an ability to have a life of its own? Um, and anyway, that, that's a whole other discussion. I write about it a lot in American Playbook. But that's one in the political universe where, look, I believe that first trimester, after first trimester abortion shouldn't be legal. Um, some people agree. Some people disagree. You're entitled to your own opinion. Um, but, uh, and I'm a rape, incest, life of mother exception person too, but after the first trimester, uh, I don't think abortion should be legal. That's something that I've evolved on as I've had three kids and gone through the process of sitting there and seeing sonograms. Much less serious, uh, but I've evolved in a big way when it comes to uh, pay for play too. 
Um, and it's, it was a gradual thing for me. When I started writing online in 04 uh, and 05, I was kind of used to the idea of, oh, we should be able to restrict what guys uh, or girls make based on their athletic talents. And over time, as I grew up and became, I would argue, as a business owner, more and more of a capitalist, I just I couldn't justify it. And, and I would say sometime around 2011, 2012, it's probably been certainly well over a decade now that I've been of the opinion that the NCAA uh, is a cartel artificially restricting uh, talented individuals from being able to make the full fruition of their dollars. And I think the Johnny Manziel situation uh, was eye-opening in many ways. Um, and, and I think the Todd Gurley situation, for those of you who remember those, uh, the idea that you could be suspended for games because you signed your autograph uh, was crazy to me. Um, you know, we had a situation where Todd Gurley, Jameis Winston, Johnny Manziel, whoever you want to point to, uh, if they were on the cover of a Sports Illustrated magazine and somebody asked for their autograph, they gave them that autograph. The kid who got the autograph could take the magazine that they signed and immediately go sell it. But Johnny Manziel, Jameis Winston, Todd Gurley weren't able to actually sell it themselves. And do you remember, I believe it was cleats and maybe his jersey. Todd Gurley got suspended for selling his cleats and his jersey from a from a bowl game. And I'm like, what what in the world is going on here? Uh, and, and the analogy I've used for a long time in this respect is, I said, you know, if you were poor in college and you were a chemistry major and your chemistry professor said, hey, come over to the house. I need you to do some work around the yard and I will pay you for that. Uh, and, uh, and you did that and he helped you out every now and then, gave you 50 bucks, gave you 100 bucks. And that money helped to ensure that you could make it through college, right? Even if you're a scholarship kid, a lot of times you don't have that much money in your pocket. Otherwise, I was a scholarship kid at GW uh, for uh, for a large percentage of the cost of uh, of my schooling. I graduated in three years. I was fortunate, middle class. We had I had money to be able to go to a movie or something. But if I hadn't, and if that chemistry professor helped you out and later on in life you had success, you might well donate money to the school under that chemistry professor's name. If you really had a great relationship with him or her, you might even name your kid after them. And that's the kind of thing early on that the NCAA was enforcing. They were trying to ensure, and you can go back and read, I've been talking about this for a long time, but the NCAA's basic job was to ensure that if you were a poor kid who happened to have talent in athletics, you remained poor. And that is maybe the most indefensible job that I can remember any organization having in my life. Because if you had a rich parent or rich uncle, you were entitled to get whatever you want. They could buy you a Range Rover. They could put you in the fanciest apartment on campus. So you were able to live off of your parents' wealth, but you weren't able to live based off your own talents and compensation for that. I just think it's totally wrong. Uh, so that's, at essence, what's going on here. Where are we headed? I probably need to write a long-form analysis of this because I think a lot of people don't understand it. The only way this makes sense is, ultimately, we have to have uh, a collective bargaining agreement and a salary cap of some sort that is put in place for all major athletic, you know, Big Ten, SEC, ACC, Big 12, power conference uh, leagues. And we can determine how exactly that's structured but there's going to have to be a collective bargaining agreement. Collective bargaining agreements 
get antitrust exemptions. A lot of people don't understand this. If you ever wonder, wait a minute, how does the NBA, for instance, have a salary cap? How does the NFL have a salary cap? It's because the players collectively bargain with the leagues and the leagues say, hey, each individual team is going to spend, I don't know, $150 million on salaries. And they can allocate that money as they see fit. A lot of it can go to a quarterback. A lot of it can go to a cornerback. Like you make individual decisions about who you play, who you pay. But you're going to have, like in the case of the NFL, they have a hard salary cap. That is, no one can go above a certain amount of dollars spent per year. In the case of the NBA, uh, they have a, uh, a soft salary cap where you can can retain players you already had, but you have to pay a luxury tax over and above whatever the regular cap is. Major League Baseball doesn't have a cap, but that would be a restraint of trade, right? That would be an antitrust violation. All of the teams can't get together and say, we're not going to pay any athlete more than $10 million. That would be an illegal restraint of trade. But if you collectively bargain and the players say, okay, well, players are going to get a minimum, right? Like LeBron James has probably been worth $100 million a year for much of his career. He's making substantially less than that because they've elevated the floor of lower caliber players. So the 12th man or 15th man or whatever the total roster is in the NBA makes probably way more than he would on the open market. But the absolute apex, the best players end up making substantially less. Now, you can argue they make the money back with endorsements and everything else, which is outside of the salary cap. But that's basically the schematic that I think is going to have to exist for college athletics. And the individual teams that make money are going to have to get spun off. There's going to have to be an employment relationship entered into with the athletes. And then uh, the uh, and then there'll be a decision made that the players get a set amount of revenue. Uh, there'll be probably a cap at the top and a floor at the bottom. So you know the 85th scholarship player, let's say, gets 50k, and maybe you can pay the starting quarterback up to 500k. I don't know. I'm just tossing out numbers, uh, and that's the way that it's going to be structured going forward. Uh, And I think what's going to have to happen is the for-profit businesses are going to have to spin off and exist outside of the current athletic departments. And that's tied in. I don't know how many of you saw this story, but it ties in well with this uh, lawsuit that was filed. So by the way, I applaud the the attorney generals of Tennessee and Virginia. They filed in the Eastern District of, uh, of Tennessee. Can you imagine uh, a more, more favorable court for the University of Tennessee with the NCAA trying to come after them? This is, by the way, the NCAA. I think other states will sign on. Florida State's mentioned in this lawsuit. Florida's mentioned in this lawsuit. I think just about every SEC state attorney general, that is, and a lot of the Big Ten, I think will either sign on to this lawsuit themselves or they will be filing a similar lawsuit of their own I think the NCAA is a dead man walking. I think this is effectively the end of the NCAA, which is why I say this could be the fourth major paradigm shift uh, in the world of athletics in my life. Um, We're still in the infancy of it, so it remains to be seen exactly how it's going to play out. But compare college football teams, which make at the upper echelon SEC, Big Ten, um, ACC, Big 12, tens of millions of dollars a year in profit. With numbers that came out this week, Uh, for women's basketball in uh, the SEC at Ole Miss and at LSU. LSU last year won the national championship in women's college basketball and lost around $8 million 
on women's college basketball. Uh, Ole Miss lost nearly $8 million on women's college basketball, too. Right now, what you have is a system of sports socialism where primarily men's athletes in football, men's basketball, a little bit in baseball, which breaks even a lot of places, but really this is a football and men's basketball arena, are making substantial sums of money. And the money that is made on those sports is then spent on all the rest of the sports which lose money. So women, in addition to under Title IX getting equal scholarships, are also losing money hand over fist in their sports because people don't pay to go watch their competitions. Uh, The women, by the way, that are making money in NIL tend to be really good looking. uh, And they're active on Instagram, right? The Olivia Dunn's of the world, the Cavender Twins, uh, you know, the Angel Reese, like by and large, women who make money in NIL aren't making money necessarily based on their athletic talents. They're making money off how good looking they are. And that's just the Instagram life, by the way. That's not the, the number of women that make millions of dollars a year now on Instagram or OnlyFans or all these different sites is crazy. There aren't very many men. Right, There are not very many male influencers making money on Instagram. I don't know. Maybe there's gay dudes uh, making money on OnlyFans. I don't think there's very many heterosexual women paying for sexy photos of dudes on OnlyFans. Right? So really, the NIL for women is just an outgrowth and an extension of the existing internet marketplace of business, which rewards beauty, Right? not necessarily athletic talent. It's rewarding beauty. For men, it's rewarding athletic talent. And um, the reality is the market only says that there is a for-profit value in basketball and football. And so that's why there's this tension here. And that's why I think ultimately, if you were just running a business, you would never have a women's basketball program uh, because it loses money. You would never have men's or women's swimming. You wouldn't have most of the time soccer. Most college athletic programs would not exist if they were being run on a pure profit, for-profit existence. They would just wipe them all out. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to have to spin off the for-profit uh, and you're going to have to uh, basically return the rest of college athletics to more of a uh, more of an intramural style uh, in, uh, in general. All right, I'll come back to this in a sec. In the meantime, uh, roses are red, violets are blue. Trim your balls and your date will thank us too. What's up, fellas? Valentine's Day's knocking, and Manscaped is the remedy for what the love doctor ordered. His prescription, the all-new Performance Package 5.0 Ultra, designed to elevate your grooming game and shine like the heartthrob you are. Join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com to snag 20% off and free shipping with the code OUTKICK. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code OUTKICK because your grooming upgrade awaits, ready to charm your Valentine's dates. Uh, That is on the way. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. 
Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. By the way, um, all of the uh, Tennessee political figures have spoken out. The governor, uh, I'm reading right now, just sent to me, uh, good on Tennessee and UT Knoxville for standing up for the rights of their student-athletes. Uh, Marsha Blackburn, I'm calling on Senate Commerce to take this issue up to hold the NCAA accountable. Um, And uh, this is, uh, let me go ahead and share this. Um, As this has become a big time, big time uh, statement that is being made by the entire Tennessee political establishment. Interestingly, I don't think this should be political. Let me just say that. Um, I don't think this should be a Democrat, Republican, or uh, independent issue. I think that everyone in America should be a capitalist, and I think everyone should be in favor of every person being able to make as much money legally as they possibly can off of their individual talents. That's certainly what I want to do. That's what I want my kids to do. That's what I want all of you to do. And to me, interestingly on this, The people who are being restricted from being able to profit off name, image, and likeness by the NCAA are actually often very poor, right? From a socioeconomic perspective, the basketball and football players who are being restricted, and also other athletes as well, tend to, by and large, be further down the socioeconomic ladder. Uh, And uh, I I do think that's a not insubstantial component associated with Uh, this story is the NCAA is particularly indefensible, not only because they're trying to keep people from making as much money as possible off their name, image, and likeness and off their talents, but also they're doing it to the poorest kids. Um, So I think that factors in as well. Uh, If you want to argue that there is a moral basis under which this should be characterized, uh, I would argue that the NCAA's acts are immoral and that the actions of the state of Tennessee and Virginia and others who are advocating for athletes to be able to make as much money as they can off of NIL is actually the moral uh, perspective. So it's kind of fascinating in that respect, too. Uh, Okay, a couple of other things that I want to hit. Again, uh, we will be joined by the Attorney General of the state of Tennessee, Jason Skirmetti, Jonathan Skirmetti, at 2 o'clock Eastern on Clay and Buck coming up in in just a bit. But I wanted to hit you with these two other stories, too. I saw this story come out uh, this morning, and I'm going to read it to you uh, right now. Um, Let's see here. Polls. Uh, Bloomberg Morning Consult. Seven different swing state polls as we sit here. I think it's nine months and five days from Election Day. Nine months and five days from Election Day. Uh, According to Bloomberg Morning Consult, 
Trump is up five in Wisconsin, head-to-head on Biden, up three in Pennsylvania, head-to-head, up eight in Nevada, head-to-head, up eight in Georgia, up five in Michigan, up 10 in North Carolina, to the extent North Carolina is still considered a swing state, and up three in Arizona. So Trump, nine months out, effectively, is up in all seven states by three or more. And if you expand this to include third-party candidates, RFK Jr., Jill Stein, Cornell West, Trump actually moves even further into the lead. So he's up head-to-head. He's got an even bigger lead when you factor in, in most of these states, third party. So I don't think there's any way to argue. I don't think there's any way to deny right now Donald Trump has opened up nine months out from the election a substantial lead over Joe Biden. I believe the election is November 5th, uh, 2024. The question is, can Biden start to cut into this or has Trump established some stability here? I would argue that the number one issue in America right now is immigration and Joe Biden is floundering on that issue and it may well decide the overall 2024 election. You look at all the numbers, whether it's economy, whether it's war, whether it's crime, uh, whether it's uh, basically any issue under the sun that is one of the top focal points of the uh, of the electorate. Biden is underwater on immigration by more than any other issue, and he's not looking good in very many issues at all. Um, so that is the news story came out today from GE Morning Consult uh, and, uh, and beyond seven swing state polls. And those seven states are going to decide the election, right? There are basically 43 or 44 states, uh, essentially, that, uh, that we know already who's going to win. Right, So you can divvy those up. There's only about seven or eight states, period, uh, maybe even six, five, whatever number you want to hit on, where we actually don't know who's going to win. Uh, and those are the seven states that were polled there, although I would argue that North Carolina is pretty solidly in the Trump camp. Um, I would argue that's basically going to come down to six states. Um, finally, I knew this was going to happen. This was why I told all of you. This is why I said I was rooting for the Baltimore Ravens. Taylor Swift talk has taken over the Super Bowl already. Front page New York Times, front page Wall Street Journal, every outlet, uh, it's all over Fox News, it's all over MSNBC, it's all over CNN. Cowherd did a big take on Taylor Swift yesterday. Uh, Everyone is reacting to Taylor Swift. The story is going to continue. There are people saying, you shouldn't care as much about Taylor Swift. There are people saying, you're a loser if you care about Taylor Swift. There are people saying, I just want to watch football and I don't care about who pop stars are dating or care anything at all about Taylor Swift. Um, I told you this was going to happen. It was inevitable. If, uh, If the Baltimore Ravens had won or if the Buffalo Bills had won, or if the Miami Dolphins had won, the media discussion would primarily be about the game itself. But I told you, if Taylor Swift's Travis Kelsey Kansas City Chiefs won, this would overtake all the discussion. I don't particularly care. I've been to a Taylor Swift concert before. But I know 
that the vast majority of sports fans do not care at all about who Travis Kelsey is dating. And uh, this idea that it's somehow going to become a cultural flashpoint and you're going to be lectured if you're talk if you're upset about it being talked about too much and people are going to be mad that I'm even talking about it because you're just giving it more oxygen. It's inevitable. I knew this was going to happen. I knew that the minute that the Chiefs won, Taylor Swift would take over the Super Bowl. I don't think you've seen anything yet. I think it's only going to grow. There are all sorts of gambling props. God forbid Travis Kelsey win the Super Bowl and propose to her on the field in the aftermath of the game. None of us would ever be able to forget this for the rest of mankind. All right. I love all of you. I'm headed down to Miami to do some business work. Uh, I'll be back on Monday. We'll have Jonathan Skirmetti, the Attorney General of the State of Tennessee, on with us 2 Eastern, 1 o'clock Central, noon Mountain, 11 a.m. Pacific. I'll see you guys then. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. I'm Clay Travis, and this has been OutKick, the show.